everybody, St. Paul here. Happy holidays to you. Man, do we have a great episode of Music on the Run. One of the most influential bands of our time out of Oakland, California. We got Roger Smith, Jerry Cortez, and Tommy Pulitzer. Tower of Power members. They're next on Music on the Run. Before we get started here, do me a favor. Wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donny Osmond, to name a few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 27 of Music on the Run. Yep, we're still in the basement, the Peterson basement. It's super funky down now here. here now. I'm, I'm trying to uh, decorate a little bit for the holidays. If you're listening to this another time, it is November. We are allowed to start decorating. So the Christmas lights up, and we're just starting to vibe it out a little bit here. But this week, man, wait till you hear who I've got on. I'm so excited. My buddies have come to uh, hang out with us for an hour. They are unbelievable. They, they are members of the most iconic band in the land. One of the most iconic anyways, right, fellas? And uh, they're on the road more than any other band I can think of, really. These three guys recently performed on our most successful funk friday and uh yeah forty thousand people saw that one fellas and between the three of them uh they they played with everyone from jeff beck cole oh wait cold blood right and joe cocker to name a few please welcome my buddies tommy pulitzer roger smith and jerry cortez from the the band tower of power fellas hey hey hey. how are you Great. Copacetic. Thanks, you guys, for doing the show. um, Where are you guys at? uh, uh, Roger, let's start with you. Where are you? uh, I'm in Sacramento. I'm in Sacramento. All right. It was a balmy 78 today. Oh, man. Sun's out. Gorgeous. I don't want to hear this. You realize that, right? (laughs) Yeah, stop it. (laughs) Tommy, where are you? Uh, presently, I'm in Seattle, where it's 48 degrees and ah, all right. leaky faucet. Oh, over here, actually. And a leaky faucet. And a leaky faucet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Jerry, where are you? I'm in Saratoga Springs, Utah, just outside of uh, Salt Lake City. Oh, all right. Okay. I see you've got the long sleeves on as well. Yep. <laughs> Everybody happy and healthy during this unbelievably weird time in our oh, careers, gosh, our yeah. lives? Yeah. Well, at least physically, yes. Mentally, can't speak for everybody else, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mostly, mostly good and on all fronts for me. Yep. Good. I'm so glad. Likewise for me, I can't complain. What are you guys doing during this downtime? You guys are the working this band in show business, and I can't even imagine what this must be like for you to be at home. What What are you doing to fill your time? Are you making music, Roger? I want to start with you. 
Okay. Well, yeah. Thanks to uh, this guy named Paul Peterson. Been doing uh, <laughs> some, <laughs> some Funk Friday stuff, which has been a blast. Uh, working on a couple of different projects. Uh, my Smooth Jazz thing and uh, right. Roscoe 3 that I'm trying to put together. Oh, beautiful. So it kind of keeps me busy. Uh, uh, and also uh, dealing with Bump City Wine Company. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to hear more about that. I've got a whole little section saved to hear about that. What about you, Tommy? Uh, I've just been doing a few sessions here and there. I did, you know, your Funk Friday and I'm practicing some and uh, working on my golf game a lot. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> because I can't. And I know when this thing is over, there goes my golf game. But yeah. right now it's, really, it's gotten really good. You've been playing a little bit, have you? Playing a little bit, and and uh, once I, I'll be, uh, I've been scoring my handicaps down to three point two again. Great. So that's oh. nice. He can and, uh, play. And, play. and I'll play golf. But I'll be back in California in December, and uh, I'll be able to play golf. But not much here. But the good thing up here is that all the driving ranges are covered with heaters above them, so oh. I can go out. So I just go out and, and beat between 100 and 200 golf balls almost every day. And and when it's not raining, I can work on my short game. And I do that for two, three hours a day. And and also, I've lost 25 pounds. So that's good. Really? Oh, Tommy? God, right. I'm down, to like, right. I'm, I'm down under 220 now. So Steps I'm, working, I'm, I'm working on two, I'm headed towards 200, which would be oh, really man. nice. You're Come sexy on. Beast, you, you sexy beast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah a lot of people are gaining weight so far i've lost weight so that's good man that's good well good for you tom i might start running a little bit like like you're doing because i think my knees can take it now come on anytime yeah. well, first when uh, you come back into town my buddy scott it, wants to take us golfing at edina again I, I, and you're I, coming I, running I, with me Hey, at 240 at, at 242 pounds when i tried to jog my knee said no thank you Oh yeah, <laughs> and he did. said, uh, 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 uh. "Now I've run a little bit at, at now I'm at like two eighteen, and uh, and they go like, yeah, we can handle it two eighteen. Once you lose another ten pounds for sure, and then we'll be fine. <laughs> That's where they're at. So I, I hear you. Yeah, I don't want those knees to go. Nope, yeah. no bionic knees, please. Uh, no. <laughs> so Jerry, tell me what you've been up to during this uh, little interim, as we will call it. Well, uh, doing some session session work here in my studio. Um, had fun on your Funk Friday as well. Thank you so much yeah. for doing that. You know, I, I, I really loved your, uh, that was really a lot of fun. I really loved the next one, the follow-up one you did with Will Lee and you yeah. playing keyboard with a couple of guitar players. I was like, oh, this is snapping. <laughs> uh, what song was that again? Uh, do, you, do you remember what song that was? No, I can't remember. It was one of those two-minute special keyboards. Yeah. I thought you just made something up. Probably. I, it was cool. I've done uh, 39 really, of these things, so I have no yeah, idea yeah. what my name is anymore. Up, it was That's the follow-up. Whatever that was. <laughs> but yeah, I've been, uh, I've been like session guy for hire. I just played on uh, one of Ray Green's songs He's gonna, that's going to be on his next CD, a song called Jealous. That was awesome. Yeah. That's great. And, uh, and just for other folks that, you know, have been uh, – uh, this bass player from, uh, I don't even remember his name, but I played on several of his tracks. He's a bassist that's on our record label. Um, yeah, kind of fusion-y kind of stuff. It was fun, challenging too. And uh, and I, I finished, uh, this summer I finished a Christmas CD. So all through the warm months, I was in here Christmas caroling away. 
<laughs> and that was a lot of fun. So hope, hopefully that's going to be out next month at some point. Yeah. I'm doing the um, same thing. I, I uncovered a, a Christmas record that I started five years ago and yeah. it's super dark. And I'm like, I don't think I want to put this out five years ago. And I went, it's perfect for 2020. It's with, you know, all the, the old, like way in a manger with way far out dirgy bebop changes and just me and a piano oh, wow. player. Wow. It's not right. I can't, I'll, I'll send it to you guys after, uh, after this it. thing. Love to hear it. And, you know, just, it's been a time with my family, you know, my, my wife and our, our little ping ping. And we're having lots of fun. I'm not. Kathy is. She's yeah. ace. You know, you've been really keeping up with the uh, episodes of Ping Ping. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome, man. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it's it pretty is. fun living it, I guess. I must say, it's pretty fun. Uh, yeah. She's an advanced soul. Yeah, no yeah. kidding, man. She's, yeah. she's amazing. Yeah. They, Especially they what? Is she still climbing the wall, Jerry? She's still doing wall climbing? Yeah, she's still doing that. Yeah, she's rock climbing and uh, mountain biking. She just has this really high tech bike that pedals with their hands. That's and awesome. Yeah, Man, that's great. So thank God everybody is healthy and I continue yeah. to help you guys. Well, let's talk a Good. little bit about Tower of Power. Uh, still going strong. Uh, first of all, who's been in the longest of the three of you? Roger. When did you come in? Uh, hired in 98, started in 99. Okay. And then who's next in line? Is that Tommy? Okay. Yeah. I, I joined in 2002. Got it. Mm, yeah. I, and I, 2010, January of 2010 for me. Got it. Well, I, I gotta say, I mean, that's the longevity of, of the band members it is kind of astounding, really. I mean, of course, there's been some different lead singers, and of course, the passing of Rocco and his health challenges in the last ten years. Um, it's that band has been a core band for quite a long time, and and you know nobody has gigs for that length of time. I just interviewed Brian Way in the Paul McCartney band. He's had two gigs in his life. Wow. He, uh, 20 wow. years with McCartney, 15 years with Etta James. It kind of sounds like you guys. I mean, you aren't you aren't going anywhere. You guys have oh. been in this thing for a long time with Tower. I mean, is that how does that work? I mean, a lot of times, especially if you're on the road as long as you are and you're together as much as you are, some people want to kill each other. Yeah. How do you keep you it know, all together? You know, I'll, I'll I'll speak on that. It's I think I can almost speak for Jerry and Tom as well we've all learned how to find those two inches of space for ourselves and how to give two inches to the other bandmates. Uh, especially on a bus, we have one bus. Sometimes we're lucky enough we might have two, but for the most part, we're on one with 14 people. Oh, And these are grown men. And oh, no. uh, sometimes we'll have some overnighters, especially Europe touring. Um, states, we kind of deal with it, but you know, like everybody in the band, First of all and foremost, everybody's a grown man and they're conscious of everybody else's space. And we try to, you know, to carve it out for us, for, you know, each, each member of the band. Right. Huh. Yeah. So, uh, go ahead, Jerry. Sorry. I'm just going to say family time is all good because we do spend time, you know, we have meetings sometimes on the bus and then we'll all, there's like the front lounge is usually, uh, 
like Mimi, Doc, uh, Roger, Tom, you know, and, and myself and uh, mostly the band members, you know, and then the back lounge is the riffraff, as we call it. <laughs> and, then, and, and then we all, we all, you know, we, we mix and match, you know, we yeah. go, we go to the bus in the front of the bus. But like I said, family time, there's de- definitely time, especially right after the gig, we're usually like pumped and everybody's like, hey, you know, high five and, and uh, having, having a good time with each other. And then eventually earbuds come in really handy. You know, yeah, when you're <laughs> <laughs> wow. bunk or when something's on TV, you might not want to watch. You can just, you know, listen. Yeah. listen to Noise what cancellation you. works well. Noise cancellation, yeah. exactly, yeah. <laughs> so. You know, another thing too, just a quick funny thing, you know, like um, sometimes when we're all reading stuff, if you're in the front lounge, you have to make sure you have plenty of arm space so you can stretch out and see what's... <laughs> so you're not like... Yeah. <laughs> if you were to look down the aisle, you see all these arms outstretched. <laughs> I never thought I'd miss the bus, but I, I got to say I do. <laughs> so tell, talk to me, guys, a little bit about uh, when you're off the bus and you're not 14 grown men on a bus. I'm sure you kind of go your separate ways, but there must be little pods of cats that hang out and go, Hey, let's go get some coffee. Is that kind of how that works in your well, world? There, there, there's the three amigos of Roger, Dave, and Mark lately. Right. Yeah. And those guys are always going to dinner t- together. Okay. And yeah. these guys will tell you, I'm kind of a loner on my day off. I hear you. I kind of stick to I myself. Uh, yeah. I'm going to do my own thing. And yeah. uh, Jerry kind of does his own thing. Adolfo does his own thing. True. Pretty, pretty much. God, most everybody does their own thing, except yeah. I will see I will see Dave, Roger, and Mark having dinner uh, frequently. Hmm. Yeah, we, it's we not like I'm not, and yeah. I'm invited too. Yeah. It's not like I can't hang out with them. It's right. just yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes yeah. I'll go with them, you know. Yeah. And we and, and we so a lot of times we run into each other in, in like the, the same restaurant. It's like, hey, where you going? I'm going to dinner. Join me, you know. So that that happens a lot. Or we'll walk into a place and there's a there's you know. Half the band's already sitting at, at two tables or whatever, you know. Yeah. So right. You know, but uh, here's one thing. You know, like my friend Jerry, I've learned a new word: provisions. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've learned how to sustain myself on the road via Jerry because <laughs> he'll, he'll find a Whole Foods or some sort of a, a store somewhere, and he'll come back with this bag yeah. full of goodies. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about this because this is, fellas, if you haven't heard this podcast before, it's called Music on the Run, and it is trying to tell people how uh, bands and artists survive when they're away from home, how they stay in shape, how do they eat, all this. So this is fascinating. I got to hear this Whole Foods story. <laughs> I'm the same way. I, I go to Whole Foods. Yeah. Bars. Uh, Jerry, Jerry's a full-time vegan. Yes. Um, and I've kind of... Um, gone mostly plant-based i will occasionally get well i like fish too so i'll definitely eat fish you know a couple of times a week but it's hard to be plant-based if you can't go to whole foods yeah. you know and I, I don't know how, how it is for you in europe jerry if it's harder there but um it's Jerry's, actually easier especially easier. in restaurants it's because easier they'll make you one right make you yeah the meal. chefs are like artists you just walk in and, and true, i'll yeah. say i'm vegan and they'll go Hot or a cold meal, and I said, "I'll have a warm meal tonight." And they'll and and they'll just whip up something, man. And no I've had some of the most amazing meals. And That's you can cool. even kind of subpar places. You you go, I can't believe I'm eating this <clears throat> amazing meal in this place. You know, 
I just thought I was going to get just the worst food, but amazing. And so, it's true too, because I, I, Jerry, Jerry would tell me about some of these. He said, the chef just whipped this up. Taste this. Man. It's great. Yeah. Not that I eat a plate all the time, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh right. yeah, you do. You know yeah, you. <laughs> get, your, get your hand. <laughs> but yeah, it, you know, like me, I'm, 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 uh, everything, but uh, no Mickey D's, no nothing like that. But I'm definitely mm-hmm. carnivorous, you know, and uh, always trying to, you know, like monitor, you know, and at least maintain a consistency for myself. I don't like to feel bad. I don't yeah. like to feel like I overdid anything. So yeah. that that that's a lot of you know for me that's what keeps me level. Just that, okay. There's, that's a word that I can't pronounce. I think it starts with an M, and it's something like moderation. Moderation, yeah. I think that's the word. I, I, it's not my vocabulary. I can get you a guy in trouble if he doesn't know that word. All right. So uh, let me go over to Jerry. Describe a typical day on the road with Tower of Power to me and our listeners. Well, since we're on food, breakfast, uh, exercise, I, I, I try and get 30 minutes of exercise in. I'll, I'll even forego sleep just so I can get at least 30 minutes of exercise just because I feel better. And so I'll, I'll have some kind of breakfast that for my provisions bag. <laughs> 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 and uh, I'll hop on the bus or get in a van to go to the airport or, or whatever. And then uh, the ne- next thing I know, we're... We're, uh, we're checking into a hotel, and then at that point, it's iron a shirt. You know, every, I call it my chores. I'll, I'll run into Raj. I say, hey, Raj, I finished all my chores. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we'll compare how many shirts we got ironed. <laughs> you know, we'll yeah, come out yeah that too. Oh, yeah. Especially chores. When we have, yeah, we just like get it done off. There's been times I have to iron like 17 shirts. Yeah, like, <laughs> marathon, you know? <laughs> I like to, I like to iron them for that day. I, I and hang it up. iron ahead of time. Yeah. yeah. Then like just kind of crumple it up and put it in your suitcase when you're done. And then <laughs> it's going to get, it's going to get wrinkled when it goes in the suitcase. <laughs> and then after, after, after all that, it, you know, I try and grab some lunch somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but if it's going to be like an early sound check, I'll just wait and get food at the gig, you know, and then it's sound check time. And it would, sometimes we'll have a little bit of hang time. Sometimes we have really long hangs. And then we start singing the long and epic hang. <laughs> <Is that> right? <laughs> Because sometimes have- they could go on for eight hours, and it's just usually a logistic thing. Like we can't get back to the hotel in time right. after this gig. We have to we have to leave for the next destination. That kind of stuff. And then it, then it's showtime, and then it's back on Das Booth, yeah. and then uh, or back it to our starts hotel. all over again. Yeah, it starts all over again. Yeah. Does that differ at all for you, Tommy? Your typical um, day? Um, I was. Uh, I don't know. Some guys sleep better than others. I don't always sleep great when we do overnighters on the bus. Mm-hmm. So I'm always struggling with um, like the best, the coolest thing about COVID right now is, is I am like getting regular sleep. Like I haven't had in decades, mm. decades. I mean, I go to bed, I'm asleep at 1030 or 11 o'clock I'm Hello. Up before the sun rises. Yeah. I'm up at six. I'm up between six and 7am up here. Sun's waking up at seven fifteen. I know so I was up, getting text messages from you guys at like yeah. 8 a.m. Yeah. I'm going, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. Rock star. So, so yeah, I'm going to have to readjust. So like if I don't sleep on the bus, then 
So like, well, you know, we'll have like, we'll do the gig, we'll get on the bus. This happens a lot. We'll drive someplace, we'll get to the, between like, we're lucky 1 a.m. or 1.30. And then if we're not, it's like 4 a.m. Yeah. And then what do you do? And then often we'll have to check out of that hotel at 3 p.m. Right. So try to go back to sleep. Like Jerry says, you know, get some exercise. I'm not as, I'm not as diligent as he is with that. And if I'm tired, I'll just get to do the walking thing. Okay. Or sometimes I'll walk after sound check and try mm-hmm. to get some movement going on. Um, I'm thinking of now like a scenario where we're doing four, we have four gigs in a row on the bus every night. Right. And um, that just is trying to, but it's, it's funny, it, it, no matter how tired I am um, coming up to gig time, once I played like one or two tunes, I'm awake. Mm. And, then the, and then as soon as I'm done playing, I'm wide awake. Yeah. Like wide awake, it's like, it like takes me like a couple hours to like come down off the gig. And I'm sure you used to that too, Paul, getting off oh, yeah. a gig, oh, yeah. you know, and, and Tower Power is such, you know, you know, it's, it's like this the whole time, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you got to really wind yourself up. Well, I think that's yeah, something so, that, that, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and then I look forward to my day off to where I actually get to sleep in bed and I will get eight hours of sleep and thank goodness go. for those. Yeah. yeah. A lot of us, a lot of the band members, when we have a day off somewhere, you know, if, especially if it's a city that has a lot of things to see or a lot of places to go, you know, or you have friends there, it's, uh, it's difficult because you want to go, yeah, I'm tired. You, know, yeah. you wind up, you just hang in the room. What'd you do today? Nothing. Right. You know, yeah. until theater time, you know, and then, <laughs> you know, like Tommy said, we're back on the bus, like those four, three to four nights in a row like that. Yeah. It can really, it, it, you know, like, like you said too, it's when we hit the stage, so Paul, it's, it's a whole nother thing. Everybody in that band, it's like, you know, you know, let's go, you know, yeah. we get it. You know, we, 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 we pull it together. It's a, uh, yeah, it's do. an it's an amazing feat, you know. Uh, yeah, we've been up there running on fumes. Yes, we have, and, yeah. and we and we know how to muster up the energy to do it, you know. And the the music really does help too, man. It's just so popping and and you know, uh, so positive and high energy. It's it's hard to like go. God, this is a drag. <laughs> this isn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> Although we've had those gigs before now too. Yes, we have. We all yes. have, you know. But and we're we're old enough now where we appreciate the gigs that that we have, especially like you're saying, a gig like Tower. That's positive. You're working. You're hanging. You must yeah. consider everybody your road family. I'm sure, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But talk to me a little bit because we're not spring chickens anymore. Talk to me a little bit about the stamina it takes to be on the road. How many nights a year in a non-COVID year? Two hundred. One fifty up to two. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Like uh, Every year, a regular year is what about one twenty-five? Yeah. yeah. And how many shows a night? Can you do two shows yeah. a night? I'm sorry. We're done with yes, you guys do two shows a night? Not all. You don't. Not very often. If, if we're at the Dakota. Yeah. Right. The the upside is with the same hotel for four nights. Four nights. <laughs> Sleeping well, hours. Downside is two eight. shows a two shows a night. That's the downside. Yeah. And Hawaii is uh what's that? Ten? Four? Is that that's eight in Hawaii? Oh is wow. Four, four 
Yeah, we, eight, eight shows in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Weren't they doing? Nights. We didn't in Hawaii. We got that changed to one of the nights we only that's did right, one show. Right. And same and with right. Jazz and, Alley. Yeah, in Japan, did we get that changed as well? I don't think so. No. Two every night. Two every night. It, it, yeah, it, uh, yeah. That, that's that one's brutal. So how do you deal with? I mean, even if it's one show a night, we're the age we are. We're in pretty good shape. You guys are in good shape. Does it take a lot out of you to do these shows night after night? And if it's stressful for you, how do you deal with that stress? I mean, is it just you plow ahead? Or talk to me about I that. Just pl- I just plow ahead, yeah. tired or not. You know, I, you I know, take it out on the X. I take it out on my on, on the organ, and I, you know, no, seriously, in a good way. You know, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. try to think. Okay, I played this last set. <laughs> you know, how can I get around it this way? Let me see yeah. what Jerry's playing on this one. How's he gonna? You know, like, I, what what are we gonna do? Like, I always look. We always communicate. You know, we'll yeah. look at each other and smile because we know when this one section's coming up. You know, right. there, there's it could be a twist or a turn, and so it, you know we make. You know, it's it's like um, it's a soap opera every night. You yeah. know, like what's going to happen when we get to this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And we just make the best out of it. I, am I making yeah. sense here? I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, so once I, I once I start playing a note, it stops being hard. Um, yeah. Like if if we have a long break, uh, if we're at the blue note and it's the you know the third night and we just played the first set and we've got this longest kind of hour and 40 minute thing, 45 and they feed and then they feed us this incredibly great food and then you have to be careful not to eat too much because it's so damn good and then you know you get up on stage and sometimes but once the music starts it like kind of all goes away and i'm and i'm fine the crowds crowds, paul are incredible yeah you know they sure love you i know they love you all over the world however Minneapolis really loves you guys. <laughs> we feel the love. They We'd really love to it. come back one of these days. Well, we, I, love, yeah, we, I love playing the Dakota. I just wish they had a dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Coming to visit you guys at the Dakota is always a, uh, um, I don't even know what, what to call that. I don't even yeah. bother coming backstage. If I do, it's like, hi. Subway, what, what backstage? <laughs> yeah, what backstage? Yeah. There's well, a that, utility. Do you know the utility room? You go to the kitchen in the back where the offices are, and then there's yes. a utility room. Yes. I set up in the back of that utility room. I find someplace to set up my horn, and I go back there and warm up and play, and I'm back in that. That room with the kegs and the junk and oh, all yeah. the stuff. That's oh yeah. yeah, that's where I go. Oh my god! <laughs> the kitchen. All you right, know, so we, we spend a lot of time in kitchens, as you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> and going through kitchens to yep. get to our gig. So it's, part, you know, part of the deal in there. territory at all. <laughs> so uh, let's play a little game here. What's what's the best be- thing about being on the road with Tower of Power, uh, Jerry? Best thing. Wow. Can we go back to food again? <laughs> sure. No, I was just teasing. Uh, no, uh, you know, I think for me, one of the things that I really, really love about it is, um, is being able to see my family because I have a sister who lives on the East Coast and my, my, I left California. I don't live in California. That's where my family is. And so I get to see my family. Uh, that's, that, that's one of the things I really, really love. And then all the people we, I've met along the way, you know, because of Tower of Power. 
Like I can, I can name a number of people in Minneapolis that I've become friends with and we hook up and, and we go out to eat, you know, breakfast or, or dinner or lunch or that kind of stuff. And it's so cool. It's so very cool. And so I love that. I, that's, that's another thing I really like. It's just perks, I guess you could say. That's definitely one of the perks. And then the, the other thing, probably more than anything, is just the music, being able to play that, the Tower of Power book night after night. It's just pure joy. I bet. I bet. So funky every single night. All right. So, Roger. Yes. There are some unwritten rules of the road that should be written. Give me one. Oh, man. (laughs) I got the first one. Okay. That that, that requires a disclaimer from me. So I'll pass it to Tom. (laughs) No no crapping on the bus. No number two on the bus. No number two on the bus. Definitely not. Uh, 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 uh. That's a no, no. No logs (laughs) on the bus. It's what we used to say in the Kenny Loggins (laughs) band. (laughs) All right. So back, back to you. uh, Since you answered that one, Tommy Roger, Who's the worst offender of tour bus etiquette without getting yourself in trouble? <laughs> uh, I'll pass that to Jerry. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, let me, let me yeah, we're going we're gonna to leave that one alone, aren't we? Yeah, we'll leave that one alone. We're going to leave that one alone. So yeah, let's, we don't want to call anybody out. <laughs> no, no. Well, you, I thought you would probably call one of each other out, except well, I guess uh, not, there was a former band member who I'm not going to say his name. Not going to mention, yeah. Who, who broke that 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 rule that right, yeah, talked yeah. about? Okay. And um, and we all woke up and said, "Okay, who is the midnight crapper?" And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he and this person, did, we all knew who it was. Mm-hmm. And he denied it and denied it and denied it until finally goes like, I'm sorry. I just, I didn't want to do. I just had to go. <laughs> oh, anyway, the midnight rapper was revealed. I remember that. Yeah. So I, anyway, the thing is the bus driver will always pull over. You just go to the bus driver and say, Hey man, yeah. I'm sorry to ask you to do this. Next this is an emergency. You got to find some place. Gas right. station. <laughs> That's never happened to me. Me I'm like, either. I'm like routine. I'm like. Hey, Tommy, I'm like, <laughs> do you remember the Bakersfield incident? It was a particular, he was no longer with us as um, part of the crew. Uh, he was, uh, I think he was a monitor guy. Remember him? And uh, we were on stage playing. We got on the bus and. Uh, he had done it. Lo and behold. I don't. I kind of remember that now. Boy, that was way back when I joined. Yeah, it was the band. way back in the day. God, I've been in the band. Though. That was yeah. rough. Glad I missed it. Almost <laughs> 19, gonna hit nineteen years in February. God, wow. Yeah, unbelievable. Hey, Cherry, let's go back before Tower of Power, and I was doing some research on you. You're the newest member in this threesome here. I'm the baby. Uh, you said that your biggest influence besides the Beatles yeah. was your family. Tell me about them. Well, my, uh, my dad plays tenor sax, who's a big fan of Tom Pollitzer's. He loves Tom's playing. <laughs> he, he asks all the time. Oh, Tom, man. I love my favorite sax player. I love Tom, Tom. It's like, shut up, dad. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, all right. No, but no, no. My, my, my 
that I, I would definitely have to say is, is my biggest influence. And my mom was like the biggest supporter. My mom was not musically inclined, but when I was just a, a child, just, you know, banging on the open E string with my ear on it because it sounded cool. Like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> that's how I got started, you know, and my, and my dad's whispering in my mom's ear, that kid will never learn how to play that thing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so my parents, you know, uh, definitely the, the biggest influence is because my mom was saying, you know, my dad's whispering in, in, in one ear, my mom going, this, that kid will never learn how to play it. And my mom, at the same age, is still doing the same lame thing, you know, not knowing how to play at all. She, she'd say to me, I remember her saying it several times at the dinner table, you're going to grow up and you're going you're gonna to be knocking people's socks off. And that's what, <laughs> and you, that's the kind of support I got from my mom, you know? So that's I was awesome. like, okay, wow. Ding, yeah. <laughs> so it just really stayed with me, you know? So. Um, I just, just stayed with it. And, but, you know, but definitely my, my parents, you know, Got it. sure, you know, but I have lots of other musical influences, but you know, that's really where it started and got, got me jump started for sure. Well, I can relate to that because my yeah, family, I, know you. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. being the youngest, um, Jerry, when you're not on the road, you're doing a lot of sessions all the time and your solo stuff is so soulful. I just love it. I got a chance to go through and listen to a bunch of stuff too. And didn't you just release a single this year? Uh huh. Yeah. Um, a couple, I don't remember. There's one that just came out of, um, about a week ago or less than a week ago. Big thanks girl? to, uh, thanks to a really good friend of Tom and mine and, and Rogers as well. But, um, Tom is, and, and another gentleman, a keyboard player, um, introduced me to this gentleman named Donnie Merrow who produced, all this stuff that I ever come out with. And, um, and Tom actually grew up with him. Um, Tom, Tom, uh, Tom's brother, TJ was in a band with Donnie Merrill, um, years and years ago called kid Africa. In fact, I just saw some really cool concert posters. It was like count five chocolate watch band. These are all like Bay Area, you know, South Bay area bands, you know, and there was kid Africa. And I, I, I took a screenshot and sent it to Donnie and, uh, but anyway, he got a kick out of that. So, uh, yeah. So, and um, he's putting out the CD that's gonna gonna come out with a Christmas CD and that that sort of thing as well. Didn't you just put out a Christmas CD last year? I did. Yeah, that's beautiful too. I mean, I started oh, working around primping around here to get this ready, and I had the uh, I had the acoustic Christmas thing on. It's just you, right? Yeah, yeah. I, there's one track that I wrote called "On Christmas Eve," and it's uh. So the rhythm section, piano, bass, and drums. Uh, some guys in Nashville that Roger knows and Tom. Yeah, uh, bass player, drummer, and uh, keyboardist. Tell me about the day you got the call to join Tower of Power. Me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm still uh, on you. Oh yeah, cool. Uh, let's see. It uh, was it was actually uh, an email I got from uh, David Garibaldi. He says. Uh, greets from the road we're in switzerland <laughs> and uh he said would you like to audition for tower power and uh, i remember thinking those guys man those rascals man the, the last guy they didn't even audition now they're asking me and the last guy didn't even have any history with those guys what's up with that there's a long story <laughs> behind all that but i was like i can't believe i have to audition i know these guys you know i knew tom and i knew roger right. from yeah. With Roger and I knew David. I'd played with David. You know, but the only people I didn't really know was uh, 
and I had never met before was uh, was Rocco and me. But uh, for the most part, uh, Mick had sung my praises many years before, and he wasn't even in the band. He said, hey, there's this guitar player I just played on my CD. You should get him in the band. No, and he called Emilio, and Emilio oh. said, well, can I keep this on this one? <laughs> so, and then so Tom was really instrumental, too. I, well, you know, well yeah. I, was, I was bugging, putting a bug in Emilio's ear. Yeah, sure. years before he the got whole to audition. Band, the whole band. I, I was putting a bug in his that. ears. Because really? we had a we had a couple we had this one guitar player who I don't know how he got in without auditioning, but he was not the right guy and he was eventually let go. And um, you know, I had been putting, you know, uh the word in and uh and uh I guess Emilio, when he let this guy go, immediately went and decided to hire this other guy without talking to any of us in the band, we all went like, time out. <laughs> yeah. so, so he is the band leader. But when there is an uprising, he does listen. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so right. there was an uprising saying, no, let's not do this. Let's have an audition. And because I, um, you know, I've been bugging him about Jerry. That was, uh, Jerry got an audition. And the best part, I don't know if you remember this, Jerry. I don't know if Roger ever told you this. But right after he auditioned, when you guys played, Emilio called me up. Like, within an hour, and he goes like, you know, I just have to call you. I said, because I owe you an apology. I go, apology? What for? He goes, Jerry Cortez is everything I've been looking for in a guitar player. And he just, just killed the audition, and we're going to hook him up. And, you know, I'm sorry. I said, well, I'm, I'm glad I have a little cloud again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah it was good. You didn't listen the first time. It, it's very true, man. Uh, Jerry came to the house. We did it here at the house. Really? Jerry yeah. flew in. Right and uh, <laughs> he came in. So we, we, did, we always throw, you know, a tune that doesn't have a guitar solo at the guitarist. So we threw Can't You See at him. Okay. And uh, we're up there playing, and he is, you know, my my walls were singed, and uh, <laughs> so we looked at each other as we're playing, and we okay, uh, okay, we're done. Now of, course, now of course there's a guitar solo in "Can't You See," which now there is a yes, <laughs> really, in yeah, the show, yeah yes. Ah. For yep. me, it's really it's a it's ma it's like a major honor for me because that's actually always been one of my favorite Tower Power songs. I've always loved that song. I love the horns in that song. I Great really song. Love it. Yeah, and I love the rhythm section and the vocal. I just really love that track, man. It's got everything that I love about Tower in that song. So to be actually have a guitar solo at, I mean, we went to our, our, our first rehearsal with the full band. He goes, hey, guys, there's a guitar solo at the end of Can't You yeah. See Now? We're going to put a guitar solo oh, right there. I was like, I was going, yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's so fun for me to hear you, uh, Roger and Tommy, talk about that and reminisce about uh when Jerry came into band, that's so cool. Uh, it was cool, and he was so quiet, so nice, so quiet spoken. Yeah. What but happened? His guitar spoke volumes. Yeah, right. <laughs> Tommy, I want to move to you. You, you are the youngest in your family, right? Yes. You and me, what is same? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got three older brothers. Okay, and you're. I read um, when I was doing research on you that it was your mom. Who's the one that was encouraging you to play? Is that right? Tell, right. tell me a little bit about mom and dad. Uh, mom uh, was a first-generation American born in New Jersey. 
grew up bilingual. Her parents were from Germany. She always loved music and, you know, started playing piano at a young age. And, uh, you know, she graduated high school at 16. She graduated Rutgers with a bachelor's uh, in um, romance, was it some language degree, but she minored in music. And then she started going to New York City and studying with a famous voice teacher because she wanted to be an opera singer. And uh, then uh, World War II hit, and she enlisted in the Army, came back, which she always wanted to do music. She ended up being an academic, but she's the one that encouraged us all to play music. And my dad, being, though not being musical, he was an immigrant from Europe. He was a, he's, you know, he's a, a Jew, an Austrian Jew who escaped the Holocaust in 1936. Right. And uh, he loved opera. And my mom loved opera. And my mom loved music too. She just didn't, I mean, my, my older brothers started playing, you know, R&B and rock and roll when they were in high school. They started a band. But I started playing clarinet and mainly playing classical music. You know, playing in the concert band, having a a clarinet teacher who was giving me, you know, the, the classical clarinet studies and then playing in the orchestra in junior high, which was really good. And then getting into a youth orchestra. So I didn't get exposed to um, playing jazz. So I was, they recruited the jazz band at 16. Wow. And I started playing Barry Sax that year, started on Barry Sax. And uh, I just loved it. I go like, I've been missing this all this time. You've got this clarinet shit. I'm going to go put you this thing. <laughs> Did you switch to Barry at one point? Did I read that correctly? Did we lose you, Tommy? Tommy froze on us. Tommy froze. Ladies and gentlemen, so Tommy has been frozen in time. Uh, well, what a uh -oh. smile. Look at that. Oh, uh -oh. There, there he is. Are. There he is. Okay. He's moving again. Did I hey, read can I that? Can I chime in really quick? Can I chime in? I just wanted to say that Tom is a badass on clarinet. He can yes, really. He is. I love Tom's <laughs> clarinet playing. I've done a lot of sessions with Tom oh, uh, where he played clarinet, and I was like, oh, "Yes, you're breaking the clarinet out." It is his tone. It's just like a, a milkshake. It's just so thick and creamy, it's very, and, and it's very oh, classical. <laughs> It's really, really nice. I love to hear Tom play clarinet. I'm very, lucky, I'm very lucky because I think any saxophone player that you know, Paul, right who picked up clarinet as a double, either in their late teens or 20s, they said, you got to pick up this double. They'll all tell you, man, I wish I'd started on this mother because it's, 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 I'm so lucky to start on clarinet because once you play clarinet well, the saxophone's relatively easy by really? comparison. Yeah. But the other way around, it's not. Yeah. You know who else started on clarinet? We're going to break away from the interview right now because I want to tell you about a couple of really cool things. First of all, thank you to everybody who's embraced Funk Friday. We are having so much fun bringing a little joy to the internet every single Friday with a one-minute funk jam so thank you so much for that and if you like funk friday and you like music on the run and you want to become our partner and help us put those shows on go to patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast again become our partner at patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast 
And there you'll get all the information on how you can financially help us produce this podcast and get some pretty cool merchandise and incentives in return. I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank the patrons who've already signed up. We could not do this show without you. As always, thank you so much for supporting us here at Music on the Run. Now back to our interview. You know who else started on clarinet? Ricky Peterson. Get out of here. <laughs> I've got, I live in the house what I grew up in. And this is the, the basement where we, some of you guys may have been here. I don't know. But there's a closet right over there where we kept all our band instruments. And there's probably three clarinets in there as we <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. I want to see them. Oh, yeah. They're all student models. Tell Ricky, but when I come to Minneapolis, we're going to play clarinet duets. He would absolutely love that. <laughs> I'll bring my clarinet. Bring bring the clarinet and bring your sticks. Now, I want to talk about your golf game because what I, <laughs> I heard that you were having a little dilemma whether you were going to play music for a living or if you were going to try to do the yeah. golf thing. Was that a tough decision? Uh, no, not when I realized uh, that that being a scratch golfer at 19 ain't, you know, it's it's nothing compared to how good you have to be to be a pro. People go like, oh, you're scratch, you're zero handicap. It's like between that and being a pro is at least six more strokes. Ah. And, um, and also my main thing was like uh, golf didn't have any heart in it. And all my friends were musicians and playing music in a band that I've always been a band kid and creating music with guys and just the friendships I developed the guys I hung out with the golf course, most of them were stuck up rich white guys that a lot of them had country clubs. And um, I tried to be, but I had nothing in common with them. Wow. I didn't like hanging out. All I wanted to do is go on the golf course and beat them, you know, cause, right. you know, cause you know, but I didn't, well, the only guys I hung out with golf wise were the guys on my high school golf team or my junior college golf team, which I played competitively so yeah so that's when i decided yeah my i'm lucky my father who's not a musician was an academic loved being a linguist you know he, he was a language professor uh spoke eight languages fluently he, and he loved it he loved being a professor and he always told me that you know if you ever find something you love to do he says you know do it with all your heart. He says, you'll, you'll never be bored. Mm. You'll never be unhappy doing something you love to do. And he was right. You know, I could have, I, I probably could have made more money selling real estate, but, <laughs> but you know, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And now I get to play right now. I get to play a lot of golf too. So, right. And I still play golf with the same lust and passion I did as, as a teenager. You know, I just uh, actually played in a tournament where I won my division, which is uh, uh, 60 and over. <laughs> I was going to say, you look good for 85. Yeah, 60 and over. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I won my division, yeah. Congratulations, man. Yeah, hey, man. <laughs> hey, I, shot, me a little- I shot 151 for two rounds. Wow. You can do the math. I will do the math. Wow. 70, wow. 77, 74, yeah. That's so. amazing. Uh, I will carry your clubs, but you would clean my clock <laughs> on the golf course. Well, but we know, can I've still had, play. Well, I've had lessons lately, and I've been practicing a lot. So there you, there go. you go. 
talk to me about Spangalang. Spangalang was what where I learned how to play funk, and 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 Spangalang I got in Spangalang, and uh, you know Tony Lindsay, who I managed you, Tony Lindsay, who's world renowned singer, sang with Santana for all those yep. years, but back before he was famous, he kind of had a band with this the keyboard player who left the band when I joined, but um, it was just a five, three piece rhythm. No guitar. Sorry, Jerry. Yeah. Okay, no know. guitar. Actually, it was more, it was more of a, it was more of an economic thing. It's really? like the, the keyboard player was, was, was when we got John and the rhythm section was so solid as a trio and Tony just sang and, and uh, we just, we would play like cover tunes, but we would do things to them. You know, we wouldn't play them the same way night to night. But mm-hmm. that band, Paul, that band worked minimum five nights a week. And we did lots of private parties. And um, Tony and Steve, we had a great following. Right. And, and they were great. That was in the boom of the Silicon Valley. And I remember my first, uh, when I joined the band, it was in 89. My first Christmas season in 1989 with Spangalang, I made over $10,000 playing private parties. Wee, that's good money in 2020. Well, check it out. This is why. This is why. They would deal directly with the HR people at all these Silicon Valley companies, and they'd have a Christmas party, and they just charge them $4,000. Three thousand. They'd pay it. And we only had five guys in the band. <laughs> and everybody goes Beautiful. like, how do, you, how do you guys make so much money? And Tony just goes like, we asked for it. <laughs> there, there's a lesson right there people yeah. who are listening charge yeah. what you're worth yeah I, and an agent once said to me when i was when i started doing the business and i was trained by tony and the agent said well you guys uh, i said you know how much for this wedding and i said well it's down to carmel it's going to be 3500 bucks and she goes really that's an awful lot we don't you know and you guys are just a five-piece band because you know our, our eight-piece band you know, they they, we, they only charge, you know, 2500 I go, you don't buy music by the pound. <laughs> I said, if the five-piece right. band kicks the eight-piece band's ass, right? if we Good. get people partying more than they do, if we fill the dance floor better than they do, yep. yeah, which we did. So it was good. It was a good run. And then Tony got the Santana gig, and then it wasn't the same with the sub-singer. It was a pain yeah. in the ass. It was hard. It wasn't yeah. the same, the whole thing, had, you know. So I started doing other stuff. Me and Jerry did a bunch of music during that time. I, I read did. that as well. So you said that you heard yourself in Jakarta or something, or yeah, some? I'm the most I'm I'm the the most heard and least listened to saxophone player. <laughs> the the guitar. We played on like a thousand cuts. I mean, we really did because we. What? I played. I played on uh, over two thousand cuts. I played on cuts. a thousand. He played on even more. Maybe two or two. three thousand cuts. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. what you're well, saying is that yeah. I've <laughs> shopped or gotten my teeth. F- filled or cavities filled to you two gentlemen yeah you probably went well, I could have been playing flute <laughs> I could have been playing flute or clarinet or alto tenor or soprano or even berry you know could have been any of those but I did track after track after track after track and um, I could have been playing band I did it was, it was decent money you know I bet and, and you guys would live you guys were really genuine you, you were studio rats then you go in and you guys was just track and track and track and track. Right. Yeah, I would track. Yeah, I would, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would track. There's one day I tracked for 16 hours straight to yeah. knock it all out. 
but it was stuff that I had transcribed and arranged. So, I mean, usually I was, I got to where, you know, two takes at max. Right. That was good. You know, we're not, we're, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the worst thing was what they used to choose tones. I have to find that for you, but they would choose the tunes for us later on. This guy that was, you know, uh, unfortunately, fortunately for us musically, but unfortunately passed away untimely, but he was choosing the tunes. But I remember when we had to do a cover of, of Paul Simon's Kodachrome mm-hmm. and try to, uh, how do you instrumentally do mama? Don't take my Kodachrome. Don't, don't take my, how do you do that on one instrument? It sounds like Morse code. Uh-huh. It sounds like you're playing Morse code. Did you get any messages back? <laughs> yeah. We're trying to decipher. It's terrible. It's trying awful. to decipher a Bob Dylan melody. Is there a melody here? Do it on slide. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Tommy, anyway. tell me about when you got the call to join Tower of Power and then Roger, you got a, you got to kind of. I was, I was actually a really interesting part, you know, in. was, uh, uh, it was like, you know, nine eleven was, you know, in September before I got the call, I remember it was like really freaked us all out. I'm sure you too, all of us. And I don't know. We, I just remember like I started getting my practice ethic back in and I really got it in. I made a news resolution. I'm going to practice every day. And I did, I started with like 45 minutes a day and, after, you know, two weeks, I was up to like two hours a day practicing every day. It was like, I hadn't done that in years. And then on the 19th, the phone rang and it was uh, Michelle Zarin, the then manager of Tower Power, and going like, is this Tom? <laughs> so uh, we got your name from several people who said, uh, you know, you'd be a good fit, maybe to addition for Tower. Are you interested in auditioning for Tower Power? And I said, yeah, of course I am. So yeah, I, I auditioned about uh, two or three weeks later. Um, the, the rhythm section was up at a recording studio in San Francisco called Cyclops. Um, and they were doing the rhythm tracks for the Oakland Zone album. Um, yeah. And so I came up there to do my audition uh, with Roger and Jeff Tamalier and Rocco and Dave. And Larry Braggs was there and Emilio. And they recorded it for the guys that weren't there, I believe. Um, and I just came in and mainly they just wanted me to solo. I think the first thing they wanted was, uh, wasn't it Knock Yourself Out? Yeah, Knock, knock yourself, yourself Out. Yeah, Knock Yourself Out. I don't know if Raj remembers this, but you know, I already decided that I was going to let the rhythm section play for eight bars. You know, <laughs> right? And so they were grooving for like eight bars. And then I went like, I'm going to let them play another eight bars. I hadn't no. played a note. I just let the rhythm section go. And Larry Bragg said, Amelia looked at him and goes like, is this guy ever going to play? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Larry. No, no, that's what Amelia oh, said to Larry. Oh, Amelia oh. said that. <laughs> Amelia <laughs> said to Larry. And then I started playing. Well, my whole thing was like, I wanted to like take my time and build a solo. And I wanted the rhythm section to just kind of play with each other. And I also wanted to, I wanted to feel them for 16 bars before I started playing. So I ended up playing. Got on played on, you know, I've, I'm used, I was used to playing three to five minute solos all the time with Spangling. Yeah. <laughs> so right. I just, they cut me off at almost like two minutes and 45 seconds. He cut me off. Then he had me play a couple other solos. And um, then I got a call back. Then he sent me charts and I got a call back. 
And I guess Roger was there, remembers that audition. Roger actually thanked me for that edition because I was well prepared. Yes, you really? were. <laughs> I was very well exactly. prepared. Yet another exactly. life lesson, people listening. Yes, well, a couple of a couple of the charts were not written out properly, and I had spent the time figuring out my part, transcribing it, writing it, and taping it together so that the it read straight down with my little piece of manuscript paper taped over certain parts. Right? There's like three tunes like that. And, and yeah. I guess some people don't do that because Mueller goes, I have to teach you the ending to this tune. I said, yeah, I know. It wasn't on the charts. I, I think this is it. And he looked at it and goes, that looks right. And we played it. He goes, yeah, that's right. And then there was another one like that. And it just, and he goes, you're a good man, Tom Paulson. And I'm thinking like, who in the hell that would not do that work? Right. And who would, if you want the gig, you got to be crazy yeah. not to do that. I just, I don't <laughs> understand it. Like, doesn't everybody do this? Right. I mean, that's the way I was taught in school. Me too. Yeah. I had teachers that said, no, you learn the charts, you learn the stuff, you prepare, you know, you know, and this is a gig. It's like, you know, I remember hanging up the phone when Michelle Zarin called me and I just, I said out loud alone in the room, I go, this is my gig. I don't care who auditions. This is my gig. I'm mm. getting this gig. Put so, it anyway. out there in the universe. <laughs> I put it out there. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. God when damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and you've had it for 19 years now. Yeah. It's been great. And in this day and age, I mean, how many gigs are there anymore anyway? We used to have, back in the 70s and 80s, it seemed like you could bounce around. A, Every corner. Oh, yeah. All kinds Endless. of gigs. Gigs yeah. are, are hard to come by, and you guys are really, really, first of all, incredibly talented, but really fortunate and i know you all know that yeah to be able to play music at the level you guys get to play it and travel the world man what a what a gift but you gotta go to roger now because he's gonna going. tell you this story about when 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 he made the pips like trip over each other first who roger yeah <laughs> you roger yeah. you are the b3 man who, who turned you on to the b3 jimmy mcgriff Unbelievable. How'd that happen? Uh, my neighbor was one of my dearest friends. I was sixth grade. His name was Ron McGriff. His uncle, Jimmy McGriff. Here no in Sacramento, there were so that. many clubs to play here. And unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that was, we were, this town was part of the Chitlin circuit. Okay. Mm. And so a lot of, you could catch uh, Albert King, Freddie King, B.B. King, James Brown, um, Oh, God, uh, um, can't call his name. Uh, but all the soul artists back in the day, the real true soul artists, mm -hmm. uh, there were about five different clubs that they would all come through. I saw Ike and Tina Turner when I was in high school. What? My cousin snuck me in to see Ike and Tina Turner at the uh, Coconut Grove Ballroom, which wow. is a trip back then. But, yeah, uh, Jimmy would come to town. And they would practice at Ron's house on Ron's dad's church organ. Mm. Unbeknownst to me, that was a B3. Uh -huh. I didn't know what a B3 was. And, yeah. uh, but it didn't sound like our church organ when he played it. When he played it, he played it right. And so I, I would go over there and hang out every time he would come. He was about three, four times a year he'd come through. And uh, so I'm hanging out with him and uh, – uh, you know, and normal thing, they're drinking and they're doing things and, you know, and uh, so uh, 
<laughs> I'm hanging out with him. So he, he was playing this blues tune. It's called Down the Road a Piece. And uh, he taught me how to play that. And he taught me how to play Little Red Rooster. And uh, I couldn't quite get to the pedals on the organ, but he showed me how to make these chords to play that. And I'd go home and I'd try to play it on my mom's piano and I'd get in trouble because she was a devout Christian. And she did not want me next door to those heathens while they drank and they did all that devil stuff. Wow. And so, uh, uh, you know, you want to learn how to play, that's what you're going to do. So I got my little John Thompson's uh, basic reader, and she took me to Mother Watkins, uh, who was a pianist at our church, uh, for piano lessons. Uh, Now, mind you, our church, it was... uh, uh, you know, it was it was a mixed church, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, very straight, kind of like being in a Methodist church. There was no shouting and grooving. God, it was God. all, come thou almighty saints, right by the book you'll play. And, you know, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I'd, I'd come home and I'd start playing a little red rooster at the piano. And I'd get in trouble all the time. Uh-huh. So anyway, that... <laughs> That was the beginning of, <laughs> wow, you know, of, of it starting for me. Um, wow. uh, it was it was Jimmy McGriff, and uh, I I would have given I've I only saw him in my adulthood maybe once. After that, really, I was eleven years old when I met him. You Can know, I ask I, you a question? Didn't yeah. didn't Jimmy Smith also live in Sacramento for a while? Yeah, Jimmy Smith mentored me. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. He, serious? Yeah, he lived here yeah. twice, actually. He lived the first time he was here, um me and uh we'll get uh, my the, the, the band when I was with Soul Train, we were playing over at this place called uh Malarkey's here in town. And Jimmy Smith would come in and uh about the second set, I'd just get off the organ. Here you go. <laughs> what do you do when Jimmy Smith walks in the door? Yeah. Do that. You get your ass off the organ. Yes, you do. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And that's what I did. And he would play, you know, until he got his full, you know, his fill. And I would just watch him right over his shoulder, just standing right there, wow. you know, and, uh, and just to see what he was doing. And he, he was gracious enough to show me some settings, show me how to do this, to show me how to do that. And uh, that went on for about two years, actually. Then he left and he came back before he passed. And I'd, I'd go to his house in Elk Grove to visit and to try to, get as much as I could out of him because I'm not a trained keyboard. I, you know, these guys will tell you I'm the worst reader in the world. And, uh, it takes me a long time to get to find my groove because I, I have to, it feel does it. not, well, I have to feel it in here. <laughs> it doesn't so, take you that long, you know, and, and that's the thing, that's you know, that, 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 that's how I kind of learned, but mm-hmm. Jimmy Smith and McGriff were the wow. two guys that really, wow. Hey, you mentioned, me you mentioned yeah. Soul Train. You better give me a Soul Train story. Oh, man. Let's see. I'm trying to take one that'll, that'll pass muster without getting me in trouble. <laughs> uh, uh, let me think about that. <laughs> who did you, get to, who did you play with? Oh, you got okay. one? Okay. Because I was going right, to get um, you out of it. All right. <laughs> we were um, uh, before, you know, the uh, Shalimar band. Of Second course. Time, uh, okay, and, and, and whispers way back in the day. We were like our band, me, Aguna Sun, Warner Bear Shugner, and uh, who else was in that band? Oh, Mick Valentino 
was in that band. Uh, we were the B group to Greg Fillingames, Ready Freddie Washington, and uh, Harvey Mason, and all the guys back then. Right. And so we would rehearse these new upcoming bands. And Shalimar, they were still dancers on Soul Train. Wow. So they would show up and they'd rehearse all the time. And uh, we'd rehearse all those tunes that they did. You know, gotta make this a dance to remember. All those tunes, that's us. Uh, second time around by the whispers and the beat goes on, that's us. Wow. And we were the warm-up band. We couldn't go out on the road because we were the B group. You know? <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, and Don Cornelius was our manager. Dick, Corne- Dick uh, Griffey ran Solar Records. Isn't that something, man? I had no idea you were on Soul Train. Oh, yeah. And uh, also the theme, I think these guys already know it. Uh, there's uh, one, one version of the theme uh, where it had a heavy Moog bass. That uh, boat oh, to, to go. I don't know if you remember it or not. Yeah, but, yeah. but we yeah, were in yeah. the studio during one of our late night sessions, and uh, they had a Moog synthesizer in there. And uh, me and O'Brien and I, I did that, so I got writer's credits for that. That's no cool. kidding. Yeah. Thank so you was, for that. That theme lasted for about a year and a half, two years maybe, something like that. Then they changed it. That always helps, though, doesn't it? It helped a lot back then. <laughs> God, it was kind of nice going towards that the L.A. Um, local forty-two, was it? I think that's what L.A. is. Now, weren't you? Hey, I'll interview. You. Weren't you also with Gladys Knight? Yeah, it was Gladys Knight as well. Yeah. Did you know that, Paul? No, I did not. <laughs> that's unbelievable. I got to okay. uh, play with her one time when I was on the Donnie and Marie show. We were awesome. film filming something in Vegas, and she came through, and I was. You know, that's Gladys Knight. Yeah. So well, that's you got to so cool. tell that story, Raj. All right. About the first time you played with Conquer Pavilion. Conquer Pavilion. You you come on. Let's you have it. You, were, you thought. So you, I was, I was part something. of the orchestra. Uh, okay. Stan Lanetta, who was the uh, conductor for the Sacramento Symphony, was hired to bring, because back then Gladys only had her, the pips, her valets or whatever you call them, and the valet. And, uh, and the rhythm section, about eight or 10 people, something like that. And everywhere she went, she would hire an orchestra to back her up. So we were the orchestra to play at Concord Pavilion. Um, so I, I took my clavinet, my Rhodes, you know, and most of the, tune I, the tunes I knew. Right. You know, a couple of them I had to read, but, uh, you know, just the chord symbols just to kind of get through it. But the, the one going out, it was, oh, what was it? Uh, uh, Heard it through the grapevine. One of those, one of the up tunes, and uh, so they're they're dancing and they're doing their thing up front. And it was the last tune. It was a finale, whatever. Yeah. And so I jumped on clavinet and I started grooving on clavinet with it. And uh, Bubba went left when he should have went right, and totally messed up their dance routine. Uh, so what happens? Gladys stops the whole thing, and we're back there and way back down in the pit. Cracking up, you know, just laughing. Yeah. And so, Bubba, now how long have we been doing this? We grew up together. And and the crowds is just laughing their butts off, you know, packed house. And we're back. I'm just chilling. It's the end of the night. It was a great night. Blah, blah, blah. I got to play with Gladys in the band. And uh, Bubba turned around. And when she was grilling him, and he pointed right at me. And here comes a spotlight out of nowhere. 
I, I freaked out, man. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's it his fault. Oh, and dude. I mean, I just kind of went, I, I almost, you know, I didn't know what to do. So I just sat there, <laughs> you know, my career is done. I'm, right. I'm history, you know? And so goes away. So let's try this again. So the drummer, um, he, uh, he counted us off. He's just dying. He's in tears laughing. So we counted the thing off. And so we started again. And so they went marching off while we're playing. And I'm like this. And Bubba goes right by me. He goes, yeah. as he walked past me. I'm toast. You know, I'm right. packing up my stuff, getting in the car, and I'm about in tears, right? Yeah. I'm fucked up, trash, you know. <laughs> so I go home. The next morning, I get a, you know, I get a call from the road manager. Hey, man, can you meet us in San Diego? Uh, uh, all right, who is this? Right. <laughs> you know, who is this? Practical joke, shot, right, bro. Bought a ticket, went down there. And, oh, by the way, on this, on that tour, that this tour that we were on, it was uh, Gladys Knight. She was the headliner. George Duke <sighs> with an 18-year-old uh, Sheila Escovito. Uh, uh, Al Jarreau, Frankie Beverly and Mays, and LTD. That was wow. a tour package. And uh, so we met him down in San Diego, and we played at the uh, stadium down there. And uh, uh, then I, he said, well, well, hang on, man. Come on. We're, we're going to Denver. So I flew to Denver with him. And uh, first time I ever got to fly first class. I get on the plane and I'm getting ready. I'm all excited. Getting ready to head back to my seat. And the stewardess goes, sir, no, you go this way. Okay. She flew us first class, man. What? Yeah. What? And you got to remember, this is like early 70s. Right. And uh, it's like, I, I, you know, I've never, to this day, I have to admit, I've never been in a group with that much class, which she, she was persona class personified. No kidding. She treated us like gold, you know, you get that for a couple of years, right? Yeah. Off yeah. and on, you know, uh, doing other stuff. Cause I was still with soul train and, uh, do, Oh, right. and Harvey Mandel as well. Really? <laughs> that's right. Man. Yeah. That's what, a, what, what a well-rounded like career you've had. You've been, been able to play with so many, so many people. You have to tell me about your phone call to join Tower of Power, and I want to know what came first, your hit smooth jazz record or your call to go in with Tower? It was, I think the, uh, I got a call from the then lead sax player, was Norbert Stachel. Okay. Uh, gave me a call and uh, said, hey, there's a possibility this gig might, you know, are you interested? I said, yeah, sure. You know, and uh, didn't really follow up on it much. We just kind of yacked about other stuff. Um, so Norbert said, oh, I'll keep you posted. And uh, so we, I had the Soul Train Band playing in Tahoe. We had okay. a house gig there. And uh, it just so happened that Tower was playing at Harris right down the street. Right. And uh, so uh, Norbert said, well, you know, they'd like for you to audition. I said, well, hell, I'm playing. When you guys are playing up there, just have them come by and, you know, if they like what they're hearing and in the story, you know. And so Emilio showed up, Dave showed up, and um, the guitar player at the time was Jeff Tamalier. Um, he came. And uh, I was kicking bass and doing all top 40 and a bunch of tower stuff. Right. And uh, uh, that's what happened. That's how I wound up 
Yeah, Jeff goes, you got to be in this band. You got to be in this band. Okay, all right, whatever. I get a call from uh, uh, Michelle Zarin. So we're going to change the place. We're going to rehearse. We're going we're gonna to do the auditions in L.A. At first, it was the Bay Area. Yep. And, I, you know, I'm kind of thinking, you know, old road dog. I'm kind of going, well, wait a minute. So I got to pay my way down there and probably spend the night for a maybe. Uh, I love the band, but now I'm going to pass. And I passed. What? And they hired another organ player. What? It was set. Done. So I get back home and I'm going about my business and I get a call from Garibaldi. He says, hey, man, me, uh, Rocco and Jeff would love you to come down to my house. So maybe we can just jam a little bit. And I was, man, I was humble. I, yeah, sure. Yeah. Play with Dave and Rocco, of course. So I go down there. We jam one day and Dave said, can you leave your stuff here and come back the next day? Hell yeah, man. So I came back the next day. We jammed. We played a bunch of tunes. Dave, I'm sitting in Dave's kitchen. And uh, Dave gets on the phone, calls Emilio, and tells Emilio, hey, Emilio, we got our organ player. That's what happened. And uh, the rest of the band had no idea. No. So I go home. Emilio calls me up. And I got my vocal parts over the phone from Emilio. I got still a young man down. And each note, I wrote my note on top of each, each word what I'm supposed to sing Dang. every song that he wanted me to sing background. Wow. So I worked it out. And I think I met the band in Philly somewhere. Now remind you, I've never rehearsed with the entire band. Hadn't played with them, not the horns, you know, or the lead singer. And, uh, I get there and it was icy, man. <laughs> that's, per was it? that's perfect though. I mean, cause it was I mean, icy. <laughs> don't you guys think, you know, you're auditioning somebody, you know, I mean, the rhythm sections, I mean, as a horn player, I figure I got some say, mm -hmm. but, but, but the rhythm sections, a section and the other three players auditioning, whether it's drums, bass or guitar, or keyboards, those three guys, other three guys have got to have the first say how they're feeling yeah. that this guy just with them. Because they, they had, you know, they had it locked. Yeah. They had a guy, you know, and the rest of the band, they had, they had moved on and, uh, you know, up pops Raj in Philly to do a gig that they didn't know anything. They didn't. They had yeah. the slightest idea, and here I am, and I'm going around going, "Hey, hey, hi, hi," and they're going, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." Yeah, well, the, the horn section and the singer. The, uh, no, got, the horn section. They didn't know. Yeah, the uh, horn section. That's what my point. The horn section didn't know. No, yeah, church didn't know. We don't need it, to know. Yeah, we just, it was just, we just want you to be funky, and we'll play to it. <laughs> right, that's true. But need to it, know it, basis. Yeah, but then it was different, man. And uh, it was a trip because uh, after the first tune, the organ blew up. So I had to play <sighs> on a fake keyboard on, the, on, on my piano. Oh, oh, shit. And they didn't even know it. Amelia says, what's wrong with you? What, you play standing up? Uh, no. The uh, organ blew up. <laughs> Doesn't work. Oh, my. <laughs> See, they, you fooled them good, man. So I just I played organ on, on, a, on a keyboard. Unbelievable. To get through the gig. Man, that's cool. And you've been there for 20? Since the uh, uh, first official gig was 99. Man, that's unbelievable. Didn't you have a hit smooth jazz record right around the same time? Am I mistaken? No, it went, it went, yeah, I was one of those guys. I, you know, I like get, it still blows my mind. I can actually say I had a billboard 
number one hit, you know, and it stayed there for a long time. Um, radio back then when the mags really meant something. I was yeah, on one too. Were you? Yeah, 90, 92, 93. That's right. Jim Chappelle, Jim Chappelle, Stark and Tigo went to number one for 12 weeks. Beautiful, weeks. man. I didn't write it. I just played on it. Hey, that's Every, okay. But everybody thought Jim Chappelle was a saxophone player, not a keyboard. Ah. That's true. They thought it was a saxophone. Should have changed your name. Is, if, if you ever want to find it, the tune's called Star Contigo, if you want to look it up. I love yeah. it. Yeah, well, but I was fortunate with that. That was fun, you know. Man, I bet that was fun to be able to say that you have those accolades and in, in, in that. Uh, a number I just one. got a portfolio, man. man. And uh, it's like um, you know, this age, I forget it. <laughs> I don't even think about it anymore. Wow. It's uh, just you know, just making it through the next tune, whatever that's going to be. Right, or making the next tempranillo. Oh, by the way, Tommy. Uh, yes. our, our, our 18 Pinot Noir took gold, 93 points, baby. 93? 93. What, what year? It, it, Nine, you haven't tasted it yet. It's exceptional. Wow. Yeah. Tell, better tell us about Bump City, please. Yes. Tell us about it a little bit. Uh, all right, a little bit about it. We have uh, 1,100 acres in Sonoma. Uh, all You name the varietal with the exception of a Montrachet or something like that, we don't have. But every other varietal we have there. 300 acres up in Lake County, which is by Clear Lake, California, north. Uh, that's where all of our grapes come from. The only grapes we don't source from our dirt is uh, in uh, Lodi. We get the old vines in from there. Got it. Everything else is there. Bump City started it about five and a half years ago, almost six years ago. What just possesses you to do something like that? Have you been a connoisseur and just wanted to get into that? Or is that just... How does you know, I've always get... loved wine, always okay. dug it, um, had the opportunity to do it. Uh, a good friend of all of ours, Randy Haight, uh, he's uh, one of the uh, wine purveyors of uh, Costco. And uh, we had just made some of our Zinfandel up in Amador County. And so he came up and visited. So we went and tasted it. And he told me, you need your own label. I got somebody I want you to meet. So he took me to Sonoma. Introduced me to Tom Larson that owns all that property there. And Tom basically gave me the keys of the kingdom. What? And uh, so I got a partner, uh, my good friend, Mike. Uh, we've been friends for close to 40 years. Right. And uh, Mike had retired, sold all of his businesses. And he had run businesses. He was CEO of all of his businesses. I needed somebody to run it because I'm mm -hmm. gone 150 yeah. days a year. Right, right. And so I called him up. I said, Mike, you want to go in the wine business? He goes, sure. <laughs> Here you go, pal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so he put the nuts and bolts together in terms of all the internal workings. Uh, my end of the partnership was just to, you know, follow through with the tower power connection and everybody else draw people toward it and mm -hmm. make the best wine we can. We could. And that's what we've been doing. Man, that's fantastic. And we can order some of that for the holidays, can't we? Absolutely. All right. Perfect. Very easy. com. There we go. Well, it was important for me to get everybody's story on that. And I won't keep you much longer because I want to respect your time. But I know you all have your own families, but you also have the Tower of Power family. How did the recent death of Rocco affect you guys? Mm. Yeah, it's... I, I've known Rocco for many years, and uh, even before I was in the band, I met him when I was at Gladys Knight, 
And uh, a lot of life there. We we kind of, ex a lot of experiences back then. Um, also on the road in the early years, hanging out with Rocco. The stories are too numerous to even <laughs> right. talk about. But, you know, like um, what gives me comfort is knowing that he's no longer suffering and in pain. Mm. You know, it's something that I think all of us to a man, we don't have to, oh, I wonder how Rocco is. I wonder, is he doing this or is he doing that? Right. Is he taking care of himself? Whatever. Rocco right. lived life the way Rocco wanted. Yes, he did. Mm -hmm. You know, and, I, you know, I'm just glad for everybody concerned, his family, um, Mick McEntee, who was his caregiver, his angel, mm. that um, that pressure is no longer on him and that Mick can relax. Mick can let his shoulders down, sure. not mm. having to, how do I put this, carry that burden? Sure. Yeah. You know? That's, that is hard, so hard on caregivers. I mean, mm -hmm. you see that day in and day out. It's hard on the person, of course, who is in pain all the time, but it's almost equally as hard on the person who's taking care of that person. Taking care pain. of him, yeah. Man, it is a tough road, and he, yeah. he's... I'm he's just glad he's out of pain, though, Paul. I'm glad he's out of pain, and, you know, he's resting. You know, he's... His legacy can't, I don't think it'll ever be touched. What Rocco left us. Yeah. Uh, his musical legacy. They're, you know, they're just one guy. I mean, I'm amazed, you know, like at all these yeah. bass players. I don't know if you guys saw that streaming thing that they did. I was yeah, on it. Yeah, it kind of blew me away. That's just amazing. Hey, Tom, do you remember when we did the uh, bass thing down in L.A.? Weren't oh, we sure. He, that was him and and, uh, and uh, Charlie uh, Hayden. Charlie Hayden, yeah, that was absolutely <laughs> mind blowing. Oh, by the way, we got on stage and uh, I'm up there playing. It was me at the time. The other guitar player is Mark and uh, Dave, and so it's B three drums and a guitar and nine thousand bass players with all these <laughs> amps behind us, and so you know, smart ass me. I, I <laughs> hey guys, you want me to kick bass on Squib Cake? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's you know, good. It was all honoring honoring Rocco. Oh yeah. man, that's great. And, and Charlie Hayden. And Charlie Hayden. Yeah. Yeah. Hayden. Yeah. yeah, that was incredible. It yeah. Was, Just the uh, the base worship that guy got, man. Uh you know, he for me get it's you'll get it forever. Yeah. When I yeah. when I joined the band, Rocco was gone a lot because his liver was failing. Right. Yes. And um you know, uh, we had Mark Van Wagenhagen subbing for Rocco a lot on that first year, first year and a half. And um, then he got his transplant. And, um, you know, for those first four to six months when he when the transplant kicked in, Rocco was feeling really good again. Yeah. That's kind of what I remember getting to kind of to know him and see his personality. You know, I think, you know, for him being in the band that long, you know, I was just oh, another sax player now. <laughs> you know, I kind of always felt like that with Rocco. Uh, but he was always super nice to me, um, you know, because of the way he would take care of himself. You know, he would get grumpy a lot because he'd be tired or not doing well, you know. Yeah. And uh, some, 
But, you know, when he wasn't grumpy, he was a really nice guy. You yeah. know? And even when <laughs> he, he was, was grumpy, even when he was grumpy, even when he was grumpy, you know, I mean, he was, he was still, you know, he had a lot of heart, you know, and uh, I, I, I did have some very good conversations and hangs with him, hangs, hang, hang, hangs <laughs> uh, with him over like the quality, maybe 14 years I had with him. Yeah. Because yeah. in the last few years, you know, he was, you know, he died, almost died on us like four times. We had to yeah. leave him behind in a hospital like four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the last European tour, he made it uh, through three or four gigs. And, then, and that, yeah, Hengelo, we had to leave him in a, a hospital in, uh, in Holland. Wow. And we had to fly, we had to fly Dwayne Pate out. And who learned this was learning stuff on the plane coming out. He did a great job, mm-hmm. Dwayne Pate, another great bass player from the Bay Area. And yeah, but uh, and then then you know towards the end too, I only talked to him a couple times, but I just could tell that he just was in, probably in constant pain. Yeah, yeah. just you know. Yeah, I did yeah. a lot of FaceTiming with him because oh, he yeah. went back to hang with Mike Peros a lot. Uh, that was his kidney donor. Oh and, wow. Uh, and so, like Mike uh, Rocco would Facetime me him and him and, and Mike, and you know, I always, I was a guy that always jabbed him in his side to give him some shit about not doing this or not doing this, and why are you doing this, and why aren't you doing that? Yeah, you know, and he would get so pissed at me. <laughs> he would just, he'd yeah. basically tell me, you know, explicative deleted yourself, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, right. he'd just go off, but. He he was my heart, man. I love the guy. Yeah. He's pretty lovable. Yeah. Despite all that, he's pretty lovable. He had this, he had this really tough, crusty exterior. He really yeah. was like, hey. you know, almost like a pirate, a little, little munchkin pirate. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, deep inside, he, he really was a sweet, sweet guy. You know, he really, he really could was. sit down with a really, really nice well, conversation. He was really... Dave actually says it really funny. He goes, yeah, you know, it's funny because you hear Rock and he's always like, Arr. but Jerry, he goes, you wouldn't believe it, man. He calls me and he goes, hi, Dave. How you doing, Dave? He goes, meter on the phone. <laughs> so that's, that's Rocco. Yeah. yeah oh, so one story about Rocco, and this is just one of the funny little tales. Um, uh, you remember the... Uh, in Europe, uh, in London, especially, you know, Le Miserable was a huge thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Rocco on the bus sees all the cabs, all the trolleys, all the, all, you know, Le Miserable, Le Miserable, everywhere you looked. And Rocco's there, look at this. Hey. Yeah, Rocco? Uh, who's this less miserable's cat? <laughs> he sure gets a lot of gigs, don't he? <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did, buddy. And I, I was there. <laughs> Less well, miserable. My, my my favorite one. I, I remember that one, and the other one I was there to witness was we were in Switzerland, and he just goes, "Always oh, got to have the cigarette." Yeah. yeah. Man, they sure have a lot of hospitals in this country. <laughs> Think, now about think about it. it. Think about it. Yeah. The Swiss flag is hanging <laughs> place. Right? The Swiss flag's hanging on the hotels. It's on tops of buildings. Yeah. Right, right. Oh my God. Oh God. Yeah, Boy, we thought it was the Red rocks, Cross. Man. Well, you God know, rest his soul, man. And yeah, you got yeah. Mark in the band now. Yep. Uh, full time. 
Yeah, so we got some Dutch yeah. t- stories, but they'll come later. Okay, that'll come <laughs> on, on on the reboot when when you guys come back on and do this the again with Dutch me movie. sometime. <laughs> Love to. Hey, uh, so obviously we're not touring this year. You guys got plans yet for next year? We don't know what's going on. Have you guys planning anything? Or I can tell you right now that um, from from especially from June on, we're booked solid, tentatively. Okay. Yeah, we're booked for Europe in the fall. Uh, uh, pretty heavy bookings, and uh, and uh, I talked to our uh, manager Ivory, and he said, "Yeah, the money's better than it's been," and so. All we can do is hope that we get to do them. Yeah. Yeah. Just hoping we get to do them. I bet you, they, I, mean, I bet you your significant others would like you to get the hell out of the house now. Oh, and by the way, one of those gigs will be at bump city, July 9th. Mm-hmm. I'm coming. Oh, yeah. I'm coming. So Fellas, that's it's outside. Been, yeah, outside. exactly. Yeah. But we should be able to do that when it, regardless. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping man, it's a, uh, it's, you know, like this time, it won't be hey. in the heat of the day. It'll be at 730. Sidebar, I just saw a video of a concert they just had in Utah, Jerry. Inside, everybody next to each other. They wore a mask, but people were just next to each other. Did you hear about this? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, the, what, the, what the F, man? I mean, it's just, that's ridiculous. It's just like, can't be it's doing that now. Everywhere. No, you, you know, can't. It's pretty crazy everywhere. Hey, you yeah. guys. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Becoming your friends has been one of my, one of the biggest deals to me in my life. I mean, just to be able to hang out with cats like you and to be able to make me be able to hang out with the Petersons. It's been so much fun for me. You guys. I've been hearing about, I've been hearing about you guys. I've been hearing about you guys yeah, forever, since man. the 90s. Oh, I've been hearing about the Petersons from the 90s and what, you know, that, you know, what, whatever the fuck's in that water you've been drinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ice, icicles yeah. are in the water. Yeah. And this yeah, ice I'm, fishing I'm, stuff, man, you guys do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. Oh, you real funky. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we so love funky. you. I love you. And uh, it's been a, such a pleasure to, and I don't even know how the hell we met. It was probably because of Rocco or... Ricky I met you, at a, or, I oh met you no. at a tower gig. I met you yep. at a tower gig. Yeah. And I think I came in and Jerry, you let me play your guitar on a tower gig once. That's right. I think I'll that was never forget that, man. Thank you. My, what a kind yeah. gesture, man, to go. Here you go. That was so <laughs> Ricky's cool. played. Uh, didn't Rocker Rocker never let you play bass? He was wanting me to play bass that night, and I was like, I don't want to play your bass. That's one of the things for me that I didn't want to do because those are, for me, being a Rocco fan, those are tough shoes to fill. And they're and tough strings to play, too, if you ever... Yeah, just gonna, his bass was so f***ed up to play. Oh. I, he used oh, to let me play it all the time. I'm like, awesome. how do you do this? Yeah. What do you I use? Do you use huge, really heavy-gauge strings? Is that it? Yeah, they, were yeah, the, they were like the 10 miles high, high, man. Yes, they were yeah, yeah. high. He, yeah. oh. I don't know how he did that. He didn't care. He just played. Well, That's why, I, you know, at night we'd be playing and Jerry can attest to this. He'd be playing and he'd go like this. He'd look at me and go, hey, cover me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had to cover his bass parts. I can't oh, really? count the times. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I got cramp. Cover me. Uh, yeah. Well, he should have gotten cramps with the action that high. Yeah, man. Well, look, I look forward to doing another Funk Friday with you. 
Oh, and hopefully doing one of those gigs in person with you because that was so much fun and you guys are the best. We will. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for being a part of Music on the Run. And uh, I appreciate your time. And what great stories. You guys got a lot of them. Thanks a lot for being here. And it's right on the surface, too. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, Paul. That's going to do it for us on uh, episode 27. I can't even believe it. Episode 27 of Music on the Run. We will see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks a lot. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, Davide Razzo. Video editing by Ivan Sebastianov. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember, don't change horses in the middle of a stream.